Welcome to episode 60 of the Cyber Guy podcast. I am your host, retired FBI supervisory special agent, Darren Mott. And in this episode, we talk with Nate Saint of Acropolis Security about a variety of cyber issues, including compliance and some of the tools their company offers to businesses to help them stay in cyber compliance. But before we get to the interview uh, with Nate, I want to talk about a couple issues uh, this Christmas weekend. It is a couple days, actually, it's the day past Christmas. I apologize for delay getting this podcast. I actually recorded the interview with Nate earlier in the week, but you know, Christmas time comes and you know, you just get busy with stuff. And so, for one thing I want to point out before I get to the interview with Nate is to think about a couple things this coming week as we look in the week between Christmas and New Year's. And it's a big time of the year for scammers to send emails on a variety of different topics. You are probably getting emails from all sorts of places where you bought um, items online, Amazon, UPS because of shipping, FedEx because of shipping, you know, uh, Sherry's Berries, pick a product you purchased online, you were getting tons of emails from them about a variety of different offers, deals, things like that. Be very leery of those emails. Scammers understand that this is a huge time of the year for people to be dependent on their email to make sure their gifts, their returns, things like that get to them on time, especially this year with the supply chain issues. Chances are pretty good that some of your items were not delivered on time uh, for a variety of supply chain issues and, and what have you. So you're going to get emails about delivery being delayed or deliveries being late, things like that. So just Take a little extra care in looking at those emails. If you get an email from UPS, FedEx, what have you, that says, click here to update your delivery options, just double check and make sure as you check at that, look at that email, make sure it actually comes from FedEx. Um, the best thing to do really is for FedEx, UPS, things like that, is to have an account with them and go to their website and log into your account and see if that particular delivery shows up and there's information about it. So, so be very leery of that. Be very leery of, of emails that look odd. You'll know what those look like. Um, the bad guys are very good at getting around spam filters and things like that. So just be careful of that. As we get closer to the new year, we will... Um, Enter the new year with some some more episodes of the Cyber Guy podcast, more episodes of the Get Cyber Smart podcast, obviously. And a lot of this is going to be on YouTube. This particular episode will be on YouTube. It'll actually be the first uh, video I have on YouTube for the Cyber Guy podcast. It actually has video of the interview I did with, with Nate. So, so take a look at that. I always welcome feedback. Feel free to email me, Darren at the cyberguy.com or Darren at cybersmart.com. Either one of those emails will work for you. If you have thoughts about topics you'd like to hear, um, issues you'd like me to discuss, things on the CyberSmart podcast that you'd like me to, to go over. So I appreciate all of that stuff. And I appreciate those of you who've taken the time in 2021, as we head to 2022, to download ep both episodes of my podcast, the, the Cyber Guy podcast, Get Cyber Smart, stuff like that. So with that, and without further ado, let me go to the interview with Nate Saint of Acropolis Security. So it's my honor to welcome Nate Saint, the CEO and founder of Acropolis Security to the Cyber Guy podcast. Nate, thanks so much for taking the time to spend a couple minutes with me talking cybersecurity here. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm a, a big fan of the podcast. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, if we get this right, you'll actually be the first video interview where someone's actually we're actually talking on the video. So you'll be the the um, the pace setter for all future videos as we go forward. 
Well, I'll do my best. So no pressure, <laughs> no pressure. So let's talk a little bit about your background. How'd you get started down the cyber road? We can, you can talk a little bit about Acropolis if you want. We'll go, we'll go into what you guys do um, a little later, but uh, so what brought you into the cyber world? Uh, <clears throat> I think like a lot of people, I just kind of stumbled into it. I started out at a help desk, like most of us, I, you know, learned a lot of the technical stuff there and, and grew from there to uh, just a, a huge opportunity where I went to uh, Korea and I worked uh, with the army there on a kind of a one man program. Uh, so I did everything from, you know, the maintenance and, you know, getting the military together for the meetings and the training sessions and, uh, you know, built a cyber security program for it there because back then we were doing the army gold disc dating myself a little bit with that one. But mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and actually got to grow that program. So I, I learned just so much there. Uh, and then actually came back to uh, the U S uh, a few years ago, uh, took a job with uh, a contractor working with MDA doing the cybersecurity assessment. So I got to, it was a super cool job. I got to go all over the world doing vulnerability assessments. And um, I was noticing uh, at that time, I started noticing a lot of systemic problems. It seems like everywhere had, you know, everywhere that I went. Um, and I wasn't really in a position doing the assessments to fix it, right? I was only able to say, you know, this is what was identified. You know, please, <laughs> please yeah. correct me. Um, so I decided to leave that position and actually work on the other side um, as an ISSO at MDA. So I was actually the one that was helping uh, all these different sites get uh, uh, their packages together and help them with their cybersecurity. Um, and then at that point, I'd actually thought about, you know, how can, how can I impact this on a, a larger scale? Um, and that's when I met with some of my, my current partners at Acropolis. Uh, and we decided that for us to be able to do that, we need to come up with some sort of enterprise software solution. Uh, and that's where our Spartan Shield GRC came from. And that's really why we started the company. So let me talk a little bit. So before you got to the development on that, question that came up as you were talking, because um, like I do with most of my guests, I send you the questions beforehand. But as I warn you, there's I'll go down side questions as you say things that, that I'll, I'll think of interest for. So as you were doing working for all of these entities, I assume like the cyber guys you were talking with were like, yeah, we know that this, we, we got to fix this or we're out of compliance here. How did you find that with leadership in those organizations? Take it MDA or, or the, the groups you were working with their career, the ones you went out and did assessments for when you, I assume when you briefed the cyber guys, they're like, yep, mm -hmm, we know. And then when it went up to whoever had to make the decision to put money into fixing whatever you found or bringing into compliance, what you found, how did you find their reaction to your findings? Because my guess is you didn't go to a company and they had 100% compliance and have to fix anything. <laughs> no, never. I mean, it, it's funny that you say that because that's <clears throat> obviously there's a lot of lead time before the assessments where we talk to the different, uh, you know, the administrators, the leadership there, everyone. Um, and I always say like the scariest thing is when they think that they're ready to go and they're fully compliant because mm -hmm. that it never turns out well. Um, so I like to go to a site and when I identify something and I say, okay, so these are your problems. They're like, okay, yeah, we know, you know, here are our poem entries. This is our plan for remediation. Um, but when you go there and they're like, oh, wow, that's a surprise. That's when it's really scary. Right? Like I, who I've only been familiar with your environment for a week and I'm identifying things that you didn't know about, you know, that's, that's bad news. And then, like you say, leadership is 
they have to focus on so much other than cyber. So it gets tricky sometimes, like especially, mm-hmm. um, you know, working on the government side of it, you, you talk to talk to them about, you know, these are things that we really need to focus on. And they're like, you know, they contract mods have to take effect sometimes and resources that they have. And um, cyber especially is really difficult because it changes so much so quickly. Um, and, you know, new requirements come down and, when these new requirements come down, I don't think a lot of people realize just how much that affects the government in these programs. Uh, because again, some of these contracts are five-year contracts. So a lot can happen in cyber in five years. And it takes a lot of people to get involved to make those changes. So when you say requirements, what exactly are you referring to specifically? Um, well, a lot of times with the government specifically, you, you look at task orders that come out, you know, so it, uh, one of the most popular ones is the 1719 task order, right? Where originally they had to scan uh, monthly, you know, but now there's a a 2020 task order that actually says that they need to scan weekly. So when you look at, that's a a big requirement change uh, for the government to enforce on contractors that maybe, they may be on a contract that's so old that they don't even have the monthly requirement, you know? Right. Yeah, it's tricky. So let's talk about your your tool, the Spartan Shield. What's it do? What is it? Who's it designed for? Um, and how'd you come up with the idea for it? Sure. So yeah, it, like I said, the, the idea really came when we were doing the assessments and I was getting to see, um, you know, just all these different environments everywhere. And we, we noticed a lot of the same issues. Uh, my partner, David, uh, and I were actually doing that together. And uh, we noticed that... It just systemically, there's a lot of the same concerns, a lot of the same struggles, you know, people doing cyber via spreadsheets, a, a major lack of automation. Um, so the, what we do, did was go out and we developed the Spartan Shield GRC tool. And again, it's a you know, massive enterprise tool. It does so many different things, uh, handles vulnerability management, framework management, uh, builds policies. POEM management, uh, it has enterprise roll-ups, you know, so leadership can actually look and say, uh, you know, this is where we need to start utilizing our resources when they come in. These are areas that we need to focus on more, um, you know, task management modules where, you know, because when you look at cyber, especially if you have framework requirements, um, you know, those are maybe thousands of CCIs that someone has to review and look at. Um, and it gets difficult to keep track of all those. So we actually have what we call the Spartan battle plan in the tool that actually will notify people as these requirements come up or tell them like you need to scan, uh, you need to review these poem in- entries, all these different things. Yeah. So it's, it really helps as far as like managing the entire cyber program. And I think one of the most important things that it does that um, it's kind of one of those base tenets of cybersecurity where you say, you know, everything should come from the top down. We want leadership involved. We want leadership to, you know, enforce these policies and these changes. Um, but a lot of times <laughs> the leadership that's doing that are, are the least informed or by the time the information gets to them, uh, it's not as accurate as it needs to be. So that's why you see a lot of times the information will come down. They'll do a test and see uh, maybe this works, maybe it doesn't. And it'll go back up for review and more changes. Uh, so what we're hoping with the GRC solution that we're providing is that leadership can get a more accurate uh, view of where all their different programs are as a whole, but then also be able to go in and look at a granular level and say, these are our uh, programs that need the most attention and need the most work. And 
you know, just be able to apply that governance across uh, their entire program. So when you're saying pro, are you talking individual um, sections within a company? So let's say it's a large, it's a large contractor that has multiple, multiple contracts. So does your, so does your product over, uh, well, how do I say this, sit over the entire enterprise and then says, okay, for this particular project, here are your vulnerabilities, here's your vulnerabilities we're seeing, or here, and it's separate for each individual item that they're doing, I guess, if that makes sense. Or right, does- absolutely. Yeah, so that way, um, because the people that know that particular program or project, like you said, best are the people that are actually working on it. So they would go in and do you know, a lot of the data entry, take the vulnerability scans and upload them in, apply those across everything, review all the hosts that they have. You know, they will do all of that work and put in, you know, honest answers for that or the tool will, you know, add, apply a lot of the honest answers for them as well. Um, and then when that starts to roll up to leadership, they can say, okay, so we have a pretty accurate representation of what's really going on there. Um, and be able, and it, like you said, be able to actually make those informed decisions. And will it make specific policies for specific programs individually, or is it one overarching SSP that fits in for the whole enterprise? And I ask this because I really don't know. I'm, I'm, this is more of a, I did not, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know the answer. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of asking it. So, um, so you can do it that way. Um, we have uh, the capability for them to do what's called common control packages or common control policies, right? So um, <clears throat> if, for example, you have a company that uh, no matter how many projects they have, everyone follows the same path for something like, let's say, incident, res- incident response, right? Mm-hmm. So they all follow a, you know, a company-wide incident response plan. Everyone knows that everyone follows it. Um, and then maybe there's some small local tweaks to it. Uh, so the company can, can say, well, from a common control perspective, we all do this this way. And then that way it takes that burden off of the individual programs because you're only doing it once at the enterprise level versus everyone going in and answering all those uh, questions at the at a you know much granular project level. And that way you also have standardization too. So as you know, I talk about risk a lot on this podcast and, and I have a tagline, assess your risk. I mean, uh, understand your threats, assess your risk, proceed wisely. You're taking the vulnerability piece of the risk calculation, correct? That's what you're, you're, look, you're helping companies look at what their vulnerabilities are. So when a threat comes at them, then ideally, if, they're vulnerab- if they know what their vulnerabilities are, they've been able to patch them or at least assess, assign a risk value that determines whether or not that vulnerability, if they don't get to it, will be a big risk or will be, a, hopefully be a small risk where, you know, we, 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 this, cause I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, most companies, when they look, they, they use your tool and they find all of these areas that they have risk because they're vulnerable. They're not, they don't have things in compliance. It's going to take them a while to get to all of them. They're not going to get to all of them tomorrow and be done with it. So it's going to take them a while to get through. Okay. Cause my guess is, like you said, you're not going in and everybody has a hundred percent compliance. Oh, you're good. We're it's all good. Even if they get to 100% compliance today, by tomorrow, three things are out of whack because there's patches or log4j comes through or whatever. So um, do they then look at those areas that you, that you're, I assume your tool comes out and says, here's your vulnerable areas, right? And then does it assign a risk value to them so they can say, okay, I need to work on these first and then go through the list so that if a threat does find that vulnerability, it's a lesser risk because they've assigned that risk value down. Does that make, does that question make sense? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, so there, there's a couple different ways 
that we do that and a couple of different ways to answer that. Um, so vulnerabilities specifically don't don't necessarily have risk values right. to them. They sure. have like severity values, right? Right. So we can say this this vulnerability is a you know a very high severity vulnerability. This one's a high, moderate, low, and so forth. Um, so obviously, you know, the tool prioritizes those for them. So obviously they would want to work on the very highs first. Um, right. Or uh, besides vulnerability scans, it also accepts uh, STIGs, like so the STIG CK, uh, CKL is a checklist. You can upload those as well. So your CAT1 vulnerabilities, CAT2s, CAT3s, right? So again, it's helping you prioritize what you should fix first. Um, and then at that point, it applies them, you know, if they're not remediated within a certain amount of time, uh, it applies them to the, the POAM, right? The plan of action and milestones. And at that point, that's when they go in and they actually do their risk assessments. Uh, okay. Where they put in their likelihoods and, and the impact, you know, things like that. Um, and then they determine, okay, so this, based on the severity of the vulnerability, this is a very high, you know, however, this particular program has no outside access you know it's it's closed off it's a you know re closed restricted network for example um so the likelihood that anyone's going to be able to uh you know capitalize on this vulnerability is lower so we're going to take it and drop it from a very high to maybe a moderate because of that yeah things like that um and then they also do the risk assessments via the uh what we call the audit capture portion where they're actually going through their framework requirements um, and if they're non-compliant on a particular control or CCI or something like that, uh, they would actually go in and do the same thing with the likelihood, uh, what the impact is to them or what they propose it would be, what they estimate it would be. Um, and can, they can change the severity values of the controls based on that as well. So it does allow them to go in and, and assess risk and determine, you know, you know, this is not as scary as it looked for us at this time. So, um, when you when the, you when you come into a company, you don't have to out any of your clients. Obviously, you, you wouldn't want to do that. I want to ask you to do that. But have you found that it, you don't have to give it, you if you can give a percentage, great. But how many of your clients, when you went in, they had no security plan to start with? So, so your tool helped them build one, which they needed to have anyway. Or how many of them had one? that needed improvement that your tool then kind of corrected for them and made them compliant under all the DFARS or, or whatever program that they're trying to comply to? So it does, it, it's making a pretty big impact um, on, on the customers that are utilizing it right now. Um, the, the thing with the tool though is, you know, it's, it, it's allowing companies specifically to make the most of you know, companies or, or entities you know, for other clients that we have, but it's allowing them to make the most of the people that they have mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I mean, everyone talks about the cyber personnel shortage and how difficult it is to get cyber personnel. So you really want for the team that you have to be as efficient as possible. And, you know, again, that's kind of what the tool does from the very beginning. I mean, you have your, again, what we, the battle plan. So when that, when that user goes in, it's all role-based, right? So it depends on what that user is doing. If he's a, you know, a technical analyst, for example, all the way up to a, you know, an enterprise manager, but it'll break down like, okay, so this week, these are all the things that I need to do. I need to go review all these poem items. I need to do my scans or whatever the case may be. Um, so it guides them through that. And then it automates a lot of the reports and exports that they have, you know, there are a lot of the artifacts. Um, it, 
provides an easy way for them to do their policies. It makes it a lot easier for them to do their self-assessments because you have all your framework requirements right there. Um, you know, whether or not you're, you know, as a company, you're complying with them or not, but also as your policy statements. So you don't have to sift through like a hundred pages of policy to find one uh, answer. Um, so again, I mean, that's, it's really about efficiency in, in just allowing companies and entities to make the most out of the personnel that they have. Great. So I'm going to change topics here. So in your experience, moving from when you started in the cyber world to where you are now, how have you seen the cyber threat change? Like I can go, I can go back to, you know, mid nineties with cyber threats and, you know, an Israeli guy and two kids hacking the Pentagon up to, you know, mafia boy in the early two thousands, intellectual property, blah, blah, blah. How have you seen it in your perspective? How have you seen the threats change? Well, um, I mean, I think it goes back to just cyber as an industry, I think is compared to a lot of other industries is really young. I mean, when you compare it to like the automotive industry or sure. you know, manufacturing or anything, uh, even the IT industry, I think uh, it's, it's pretty young compared to that. So um, it, it, it changes so fast and it's so difficult to keep up and, and stay caught up. And from a, you know, a threat perspective, it's, it's, it's such a huge part of our life now, technology. It's, I mean, you know, one of the things that I think is going to start really becoming a problem is just the, uh, not necessarily, I mean, maybe somewhat for corporations and things, but just the internet of things, you know, where people are so dependent on them in their house, you know, or someone, someone could hack your house and you, you can't even turn your lights on, you know, right, right. you have your smart bulbs. I mean, they're ordering a million dollars worth of stuff from your Alexa without you knowing it. You know, I mean, there, there's no telling what, what can happen with stuff like that. And, you know, just cloud computing is, mm-hmm. is, something that's, is just such a huge benefit, you know, because it cuts a lot of expenses for a lot of people, um, but it introduces a lot of, you know, security challenges that, you know, I think some of them we're still figuring out. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I had a company call me once, um, and uh, asked me, hey, do you have any documentation, any threat reporting I can give to my bosses to let them know that we shouldn't be putting these smart speakers on our on our network? This is a, a clear defense contractors. So they had people with Alexa devices hooked into the network at work so they could listen to their podcast or whatever. But he couldn't convince them that this was a threat problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it seems that this year we've seen a large amount of money spent to support and expand um, cybersecurity companies. I mean, I just saw, I saw something on LinkedIn where some company got a $45 million series A investment. I have no idea what they do, but they got $45 million for whatever it is that they're doing. But it seems like the number of intrusions the cybercrime events have increased at a much quicker level, it seems like. Why do you think that, why do you think that is? What is, so we're spending a lot of money to cybersecurity companies to provide cybersecurity services, yet bad guys are still figuring out their way in. Why is, what's the, what do you think the disconnect there is? Um, so, so I guess, <laughs> I guess the assumption is that there are more, uh, you know, there are more people that are being affected, more companies that are being affected. I would ask is is that really the case i mean perhaps perhaps there had been more or maybe now like you said they're actually spending money on cyber and they're actually putting things in place so maybe it's they're actually identifying and reporting more uh-huh. or are actually happening um 
that's, like, a, that's a great point because it's always been the problem is you for every ransomware event there's five that don't get reported yeah absolutely or you know every uh one yeah ransomware is a one of those that typically does get reported because it, it affects people so much but um yeah. a lot of times they, they get in and they uh they they, they don't even know that they're there and then they actually it's like two years later they're like oh wow that they, they've been well, here Solar winds are in solar winds. I'm not solar winds wasn't ransomware per se, but they were in there for what a year before before um Mandiant said, Oh, hey, what's this going on? And I gotta give Mandy a credit. They at least came out and said, This is this is what we found the problem was. Yeah, we got or fire eye, take your pick, fire eye, Mandy. We got, you know, intruded, and here's how it happened because of solar winds. And then here, so let's go back to our leadership question. So the response to the CEO from SolarWinds to Congress was, well, some intern put the password in the Orion server at password one two three is that good do you think that's good leadership no uh, <laughs> ship at all <laughs> uh, that's just i mean so again those are that's one of those things where people ignore policies and they ignore like a lot of the technical requirements that we can put on things and then when people make mistakes or not even people make mistakes people just follow what's easiest for them. And from an operational perspective, uh, you know, they kind of want to point the finger downward and that's not, that's not a good plan. They, they should have taken, I, I mean, I'll say that, I mean, I hope I'm never in that position, right? But, but if I was, I mean, I think I would take more responsibility in that instance and say, there's just things that we need to do better as a whole. And we need to, yeah. you know, make sure that our people are informed better and that we put some of these technical uh, constraints in place, and even if it does hinder operations somewhat. Right? Do you find companies are still afraid to report their incidents, or are they becoming? Is it becoming more commonplace, and companies don't find it as difficult simply because it there really isn't a negative? To me, it seems to me it really isn't a big negative impact for companies, large companies that have some kind of data incident. People still shop at Target. You know, people still use Yahoo. People are still using SolarWinds. People are still pumping gas. It comes through Colonial Pipeline. So it seems like that whole stigma of, oh, I don't want to report it because that might hurt my stock prices. Do you think companies are, are at least coming around to, well, maybe it's a good thing if I do report it because then at least maybe someone else won't get hit by the same thing I have? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and again, that's how, you know, people have accepted it, right? I mean, I, I think people want for companies and, and entities again just to be transparent with them right mm -hmm. and it, it to me it always makes me feel better when i have you know a relationship with a company like that and i see them taking responsibility for things like that um because again it, at least they identified it they're notifying the people that they need to and my assumption is, is that they're going to use it as an opportunity to get better and uh, <laughs> make changes that they need to make. Well, my argument is it can help everybody get better. That's why if we just had like, and the, I'm sure you've seen me post this on LinkedIn a billion times, but if we had a, the cyber, cyber safety review board went into Colonial Pipeline and said, here's what happened. I mean, we know it was a, a VPN they hadn't closed off or something. Okay, fine. We know that part. But what happened once the bad guys got in? And we don't know anything beyond the method of intrusion. So uh, just things like that for me, I think would be very helpful for helping everybody know, Hey, this is a problem I need to fix myself and this is what I can look for. But you know, I, I'm a broken record on that. So, <laughs> so if you had a crystal ball, what do you predict? And this is, so I, 
I wrote this question pre-Log4j. So take Log4j issue out of all of this, because that's going to be a problem in 2022 for everybody. But if you had a crystal ball, what would you predict um, we can see from a threat perspective in the coming year? Do you think it's going to be, is it, is things going to be pretty much the same? A lot of ransomware, a lot of business email compromise, China's still going to steal intellectual property, Russia's going to do what they do, or do you think there might be something larger coming down the pipe? Um, in like 2022 specifically? Yeah, you can go 2022, 2023, maybe say the next two or three years with, I mean, we, you can look to AI becoming more prevalent and quantum computing coming around the bend and 5G hitting Take your pick. Take take the threat perspective. You you choose best. Oh, well, quantum processing scares me. I think the most because there's there's go, there's going to be that delay between when quantum processing is available and when quantum encryption encryption is a real thing. Um, and in that time frame that it takes for that to happen, whoever actually has that hardware first, they have the keys to everything pretty mm -hmm. much. And there's very little that they won't be able to do. Uh, so I think that's pretty scary. Um, and I hope that that delay between that and quantum encryption is not long <laughs> for all of us. You think passwords will have to go away as a method of um, verification simply because quantum computing will be able to crack them so quickly regardless of length? Yeah. And I don't know what the solution is around that biometrics or I, I don't even know if that's great. But I, I do kind of like what Microsoft's doing where – you don't have to use a password, but you have to, you get the thing on the app and it says, pick which number is this, which I guess from a security perspective, I'm not all bought into simply because it only gives you four choices. And if I'm a bad guy, I got a 25% chance of clicking the right one. I'm getting in that person's account. That's probably a problem, but what do I know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, multi-factor is definitely something that can, can help negate some of that. But I mean, if, you know, if they get in and they utilize it to just break down encryption on, you know, files or hard drives yeah. uh, that they have access to. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like the Internet of Things, I mean, as people bring more technology into their house, um, you know, my house is not, you know, a major company. Right. So I don't have quite as much uh, protection from a cyber perspective in my house as a lot of these major entities do, but there's still a lot of information, you know, personal information that people can get. Um, and, and that's something else. Like, I mean, you see the ransomware attacks, um, but they're targeting entities like, uh, you know, state government level, you know, hospitals, schools, you know, they don't necessarily have huge cyber budgets, um, but they have valuable information. Um, you know, it's like, uh, a conversation I had with a friend of mine not too long ago was why why would you try to hack uh, you know the DoD or the Arsenal when you can hack a local DMV and pull right. people's PPI that way? You know, sure. PPI, sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, and the bad guys are getting smarter. You know, and they're getting more tools in their tool belts as well. Um, so, and again, and they they can play the long game from a time perspective. You know, they can they can spend months or even years trying to get into something. Um, so they, they can play that long game. And then when they actually do get in, uh, us on the cyber side, we have a very small window to catch and mitigate and maintain, you know, what's, mm -hmm. what's going on. So, uh, it's, yeah, like, the, the more technology, the more we're going to have to think about it and worry about it, but there's a lot of smart people out there. So, yeah, uh, I think we're all going to be okay. Well, hopefully, I mean, it's for me, for my big thing, and you've heard me say this, is, is about education. But I, I have contacted several school districts with, with points of contact that friends have given me 
to say, hey, I'm trying to develop this educational thing for schools. I can't even get a response back. Like you can't, and I'm not, I'm a, I, I can't give away cyber education. I think that's the big issue is people just, again, they don't think it's going to happen to them. That's my, that's my fear. Right. Um, well, again, with any, I mean, entities like that or, or even corporations, everything is a factor on a, a balance sheet a lot of mm -hmm. times. Sure. You know, they look at, well, how much are these assets worth? How much is this, you know, information worth, this intellectual property worth to us if it was to be taken? Um, and if the cost to protect it ends up being more than the value of it, it's, it's hard for them to rationalize adding those protections. Good point. So let's talk about your company. I'm, I'm, I'm always impressed by folks who go out on their own and, and are entrepreneurs and, and create their own companies because I just don't have the business mindset to be able to do it myself. But what made you think to create your own company? Um, how'd you do it? Uh, and how's it going? Uh, um, so, well, again, we, uh, it, it was when we were doing the assessments and we were seeing these systemic problems, but not being in a position to actually, you know, affect change for it, um, I think, uh, was one of the things that kind of really pushed uh, myself and, you know, my business partner, David, and uh, my other business partner, Gil, to really set out on our own. And, you know, again, like to be able to do that, we designed this, uh, the GRC solution that we discussed earlier, because that's, that's a way for us to impact these large organizations at an enterprise scale at a very high level. Um, and, and, you know, let that change affect the entire organization. Um, so that's how, uh, and it was not, not necessarily what we intended to do. You know, if I, you know, three years ago, if you would have asked me if I'd be a business owner, I would have said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know why I would. Um, so it, we just kind of fell into it really. Um, but it, it's exciting. I mean, it, I mean, me personally, I love to learn new things every day uh in you know new challenges and be able to make progress uh just uh, you know from a personal level and it, this is definitely allowing me to do that I, I absolutely learn something new every day and this is a great town for it i mean really you probably couldn't have picked a better spot in the country because everybody's so compacted together and everybody knows everybody so it's very easy for you for you to get introductions because you know people but and so a question that just came to me so a, a lot of people that i think listen to the podcast are maybe you know novices in the cybersecurity world i know i have some some nephews and nieces that listen um who maybe maybe thinking about going into cyber so if you had to tell someone who wanted to get in the cyber world is the degree more important or is this the certi certifications more important or is there a mix in between those two things um you know, that's one of the things, I don't know that there's a, a right or wrong answer for that. I think personally that from, from a cyber perspective and an IT perspective, I think it's better to get the certifications and get the on-the-job training as soon as you can. Not that I would deter anyone from going to school. If that's, you know, that's a great thing to do as well. Mm -hmm. um, but with cyber and IT specifically, I think the sooner you can get your hands on uh, the equipment and, and do some self-learning and, and on-the-job training, um, getting the certifications, I, I think the better off you'll be. One thing, I'm going to out my son here for anybody listening because I know he doesn't listen, so he, he won't hear me say this. But So he went to UAH, got a degree in cybersecurity, but he didn't get his security plus or his net plus in the two classes that he could have got it in because he didn't test into it. 
Like there was, if he, if he did test, he could have tested and got their certif certification at the end of the class. He just didn't study hard enough. So that's stupid, but you know, what are you going to do? So, I mean, I would say, I mean, uh, it's good to see that schools are going that route, realizing that there's all these additional, there's an additional value we can provide to these classes that will help them in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and what you just said, I think is, is interesting because I always tell people that, it, I mean, obviously, mostly people talk to me about cyber or IT, um, but I tell them any, any career that you're, that you're in, the key is really making the most of the opportunities that you get. Mm -hmm. um, because I have been, I've taken on multiple jobs where I was kind of in over my head uh, when I first started. And then I just applied myself and made sure that I learned everything that I could from that position. And again, just took the most um, from that opportunity that I could. And it's paid massive dividends for me from a career perspective and from a personal improvement uh, perspective. That's great. So if someone who's listening is interested in your tool, how do they get in touch with you or Acropolis Security to, to get more information? Uh, so they can go to our website, AcropolisSecurity.com. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, uh, yeah, that's probably the easiest two ways. All right. Well, Nate, I greatly appreciate you taking the time. I know it took us a little while to get this scheduled up. I hope you're feeling better. And I, I appreciate you coming in and, and talking a little bit about what you guys do. I am. I enjoyed it. I can't wait to actually see it. Um, and I would love to come back in the future if you'll have Okay, it. absolutely. We'll do it. Great. Thank Thanks. You. So once again, I want to thank Nate Saint of Acropolis Security for joining me on the Cyber Guy podcast. As always, if you have thoughts, comments on the podcast itself or the YouTube video, feel free to drop me a line in the YouTube comments. Send me an email, darren at thecyberguy.com or darren at cybersmart.com, cyber spelled C-Y-B-U-R. And I will absolutely respond to any email I get. I appreciate the emails of people that email me and let me know they're listening and things like that. But until next time, we will see you in 2022 with more episodes of the Cyber Guy podcast and the Get Cyber Smart podcast. Know that knowledge is protection. If you understand the threats that are targeting you, you can assess your risk on online and you can proceed wisely. Stay safe into the new year. We will talk to you soon. Thanks a lot.